Christ on a cracker. This is the bleakest that we've ever started. You know that for like three months of Arthur's life that he didn't call me mom. He called me butt. <laughs> no, I did not. Clay was still dada, but <laughs> I was butt. <laughs> Welcome to Holy Spirits, the show where we're not going to heaven, but you might be. Woo-hoo-hoo. My name's Mike. Ah, I'm Tara. I'm Heather. This is Holy Spirits, the podcast. And now I can just say as a blanket statement that you can follow us wherever you listen, because now we're on everything. God bless it. We are on everything. But our email remains holyspiritspodcast at gmail.com. Cool. Mike, ha- has anyone ever sent us an email? No. I'm fucking serious when I say email us, you guys. I, I need your emails. I honestly don't understand why nobody's taking advantage of emailing us. I'm surprised that I haven't received an angry one from Clay that's like, listen here, motherfucker. You misspelled Yahweh in the first fucking episode. I did misspell <laughs> Yahweh in the first you fucking episode. It. Mm-hmm. And it haunts me to this day. You also brought a map. <laughs> I did bring a map. Episode. I had, yeah, I had like resources that I brought you to had, the first you episode. You had visual aids. It was amazing. Yeah, I was, I was like, I didn't really know what I was doing. And so I was like, I need to have as many resources as possible. I loved it. I loved it. Oh, also our new announcement for today that I forgot to mention last time is that you need to go and follow us on Instagram at Holy Spirits, the podcast. Everybody go and follow. So our Holy Spirit of the day is desserts slash something sweet. I personally am drinking a sangria, which I never drink. I never drink sweet things like this. But you're a sweet thing. Have a get over here. Mm -hmm. Heather, what are you drinking? I am drinking blueberry wine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That Tara bought me at Aldi. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh that's right Tara was doing it last time my holy spirit is um i went to good old old-fashioned dairy queen got me a vanilla shake drank about i don't know one quarter of it in the car ride home and then filled a quarter of it up with whipped cream vodka mm-hmm. so we're we're nice. living life i'm gonna need to try that concoction is that called a mudslide it's um, like a like an avalanche yeah <gasps> I don't know. Sure. Is that what they call vanilla mudslides? Avalanches? I mean, it, it is now. I mean. Holy Spirit's original. Hashtag not, trademarked. TM, yeah, TM, We TM. own it. Yeah. 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 I'll uh, post the, the recipe. Post the recipe. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. It absolutely should be called an avalanche. Now I'm really excited. Fuck yes. Mm-hmm. So today we're talking about Joseph, but we're also kind of going to talk um, about the family. We're going to do some Dreamcoat things. We're going to talk about Donnie Osmond, at least a little bit. But uh, we're actually going to start by closing out with Jacob. So Jacob gets back to Canaan, remember, and he's chilling with Esau. And they've decided that they don't like fully hate each other, which is great and vaguely touching. So then God tells Jacob to go back to Bethel, which is where he had the dream, the Jacob's ladder dream um, of the ladder or the staircase possibly leading up to heaven. Do you remember that when he was running away from Esau? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when he was there the first time, he anointed a rock and he said that he would build a house of God. And it sounds like God is kind of calling in that favor. He's like, listen, remember that whole thing where I got you out of Esau trying to kill you? Like, we're, we're doing this now. 
but obviously that means that we've got to kind of like max out on our godliness. So he has everyone in his camp change their clothes and bathe and crucially throw out their idols. So even in Jacob's camp, we still have idols floating around. It sounds from the phrasing like servants and like extended family maybe and staff also might have idols. The staff. The staff. The employees. Yeah, the staff. Idolatry. tree. <laughs> Whoa. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. the pronunciation that you sent us. Yes, I, I yeah, I texted. Idolatry. Tara was like, you know, I really struggle. Is it idolatry? How do you? And I texted as I was editing last episode, and I was like, I totally missed the fucking opportunity to say that it's pronounced like dollar tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. And honestly, and that we all could have gotten our own idols at the dollar tree. There was mm-hmm. a whole way that we could have gone on that. I know, mm-hmm. little trinkets. Trinkets, um, so many trinkets. And we want to remember too that ancient Hebrew people went from polytheism to henotheism to monotheism, right? Where you have lots of gods and then you have your favorite god who you kind of go to for everything and there are other ones floating around but you don't really give a shit about them. And then we eventually got to monotheism, which is the way that Judaism and Christianity and Islam are today. So this kind of might be a reference to that change, right? Where Jacob is like, okay, listen, Abraham believed in one God. That was perfectly cool. But I made uh, an agreement with God while I was fleeing from my brother. Now it's fucking time. We're doing this monotheism thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I want to say, well, just on the subject of henotheism, that Saturn, and I cannot stress this enough, got the diamonds. Because that's still my favorite joke from our entire fucking podcast. I was going to say, I remember that conversation. <laughs> that took a second. So then Jacob takes the idols and he buries them under a tree at Shechem. Shechem. Which is super weird to me because it seems that they're still chilling by the village that I assume is full of dead bodies. Like they're just, and, oh. and Jacob's like, I don't know, I guess we have to go to Bethel. And everyone's like decaying and it's like, yeah, we should... We should leave, Jacob. We Bodies, nasty. I didn't even think about all the dead bodies laying around. So remember, they have all the wives and children. Oh, they yeah. They have all the wives and children. So I'm sure there was a little bit of, like, I don't know, therapy that right. needed to be done. Right. But seriously, they just, they're, oh, blood, guts, mm-hmm. death. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Fucking grim. And it's interesting to me because... God is the one who's telling Jacob to move on, right? After Shechem. Shechem. And remember that God also told Jacob to move on when Laban was like, maybe I fucking hate this guy. Maybe it's not cool that he's taking all my shit. And then God was like, hey, you need to leave. And it's like, God didn't need to tell Jacob to leave. He should have been like thinking about leaving anyway. Yeah. Jacob in the story very easily could just be like, I should probably move on now. (laughs) Some things have happened here. Yeah. But the good news is, because remember, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, wasn't it? Yeah, Simeon and Levi, those little shit. Yeah, those little assholes. (laughs) The good news is because Jacob told Simeon and Levi, you know, we don't don't have the capacity to fight our way out of this, and you've alienated everyone in the area. The Mm -hmm. good news is that God causes a terror to fall in the places that they pass by, so they have no issues as they leave. What does that mean? They cause a terror. Like everyone's afraid of them. Yeah. So no one wants to mess with them. They just got a bad reputation. Of course everyone's afraid of them. They just massacred an entire 
village or whatever. Right. A village of people with injured penises. Yeah. Yes. Innocent I mean, people. Yeah. Innocent penises. <laughs> but, you know, Jacob's concern was we don't have enough people to fight them off if everybody decides to be like, hey, fuck Jacob's people. So, so God just sent some angels down and we're like, all right, go gossip. About how much Jacob's yeah. a badass. And the angels are like, watch out, villagers, XOXO, gossip god. <laughs> I mean, if we can turn these people into zombies, we'd have a great show. We'd have a great mm-hmm. pitch. I'm just telling you, think about how much money Pride and Prejudice and Zombies make. <gasps> I me- loved that movie. <laughs> Give me... Shechem zombies. Shechem. Oh my gosh. Bible and the zombies. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they get to Bethel, which the Canaanites call a different name. And I'm sick of the Bible being like, there are like nine names for this place anyway. Uh, so then Rebecca's nurse, Deborah, dies. And I, I just honorable mention, pour one out for Deborah. She has no mention in the Bible until she dies. It's just said that she's rebecca's nurse she's not like bilha you know she's not the handmaid she's not involved in the procreation business she wasn't important enough to be talked about in that story but for some reason when she dies it's sad enough that there's a little note about uh the fact that she dies and where she dies oh it's kind of sad yeah but i mean like i'm 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 very happy for her that she's important enough to have like a saying in death Mm -hmm. it's like make your mark sweetie yeah and it's in my opinion an example because now that we're finished with dina and we're talking about you know the men in her family again just this is our casual reminder that for every man in any bible story there are a bunch of unseen unheard women who were doing all the fucking work and or propping this man up emotionally or logistically and that they deserve their stories to be told too. And we just have fewer resources about them. Good point, Mike. Yeah, Mike. Bless you. God damn it. Pour one out for Deborah. Fuck yes, Deborah. Hold on. Hold on. Heather's pouring one out into her mouth for Deborah. Yep. I got you, Deborah. Got your back, girl. So then uh, we have a weird little rewind moment where we have to retalk about how Jacob is renamed as Israel. And in the text, we go back and forth. In a few places, they call him Israel, and in a few places, they call him Jacob. But I do want to linger on one particular detail um, about this passage. So this is Genesis 35, 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come for you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked to him Bethel. So this is the original of where we pour one out. (laughs) Is that why we pour whiskey or whatever on people's graves i thought Um, that was like a scottish or irish thing yeah it's this is an older tradition that is kind of differently spirited this is the idea of sacrificing um in ancient cultures through like to the romans it was really common to give like food offerings and you would either like leave them to rot or set them on fire or you know expend them in some way let me put it this way when you make sacrifices to gods you sacrifice things that are valuable 
uh, which means that you sacrifice, of course, your like time and money and like labor, but mm-hmm. things that are valuable, especially in earlier societies, when you were really worried about having enough food to fucking survive, food is super valuable. And so giving up your food to the gods is, you know, uh, is a real sacrifice and it shows your devotion to them and it shows how important the gods are. So the idea that Jacob poured one out for God is probably part of a broader sacrificial tradition. But what really called to me about the story is we already did this. This anointing of the stone, this is what he did when he saw Jacob's ladder, when he saw the staircase to heaven. And so it's really weird that in Genesis 35, after we've done so much other stuff, we're going back and retelling the story again. And this time he doesn't have a vision about the way that you get to heaven and he doesn't see God sitting at the top of a staircase. He just like talks to God and they like cut a deal that he's going to, you know, be devoted to him. And that's when he anoints the stone. I want to point this out because it is a contradiction because we have already seen this story before and because it shows how kind of historical the Old Testament can be, that there are so many names for God just in this one passage, Um, because this is one of the last times in Genesis that we're going to see stories like this, because most scholars think that the Joseph story is one story by one author. And it probably is, you know, like several, like a conflation of several different legends and stuff. But the Joseph story seems so like stylistically unified. You know, if you read the Bible, as I know you both have, at least in several parts. Cover to cover. (laughs) Well, I know that Tara had to for some of her uh, Dina stuff. But um, (laughs) you may notice that there are some passages seem really like blunt where it's like he walked in, he walked out. And there are some that are really wishy-washy like, and then his loins from his loins burst forth his child, you know, some of them are really literary, some of them are really poetic, and some of them are really blunt, like it really is a mixed bag. The Joseph story is not written like that. It's way more unified. And so we're going to see a lot fewer contradictions as we move forward. That's nice, because I think that's the most frustrating part about the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is that there's no, there's no tone throughout. It's like some, it's like the Tower of Babel, where it was just like this, like, and there was a tower and some stuff happened. And then mm-hmm. it was like, people were scattered. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's other parts that are like 14 million years long because somebody was really wordy. And then we have random Deborah's dying and we're like, what's her importance? <laughs> right. Exactly. And yeah, the Tower of Babel is a good example. You don't really get a lot of details on who they were, what they were doing, what like the locale was. But when Abraham is walking around, we hear a lot about the wells that he was digging. And it's like, how is this the same book of the Bible? Not just all in one Bible, but the same book of the Bible. So yes, absolutely. So then you're going to love this. Um, it just says real casually that Reuben sleeps with Bilhah. I almost put this in my story, but oh. I didn't. It is. I was like, I'm Wait, sorry, what? And then Ruben? it just moves on. It's just like, oh, by the way, Reuben fucked Bilhah anyway. And I'm like, doesn't he know that that's his mom aunt? I was going to say. It's not actually his mother because Reuben is the firstborn. His mother is Leah. Still, though. Isn't it like brother from another mother or mother with a different brother? <laughs> yes. But yeah. technically, Bilha was not a wife. And so technically, she was not a, she was not pro, like, she was not protected. And then the other thing is, too, as I read, Reuben was so upset because, you know, as I mentioned in my episode, 
Israel, Jacob, didn't go to Leah after Rachel died. He went to Bilhah's bed because Bilhah was the closest thing to Rachel. And another scholar said that Reuben didn't actually sleep with Bilhah, but that he moved his bed back to Leah's bed to make him share. And so it was a violation of Jacob's bed, which was with Bilhah. And that it was just like a weird translation, which I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting. Was that it wasn't like necessarily that he slept with her. It was just like he fucked with his cot, <laughs> and like, and that cot needed to be with Bilha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Something right. about moving beds around. Um, yeah. Another possibility is that um, there are some weird ambiguities in the text, and I didn't dive super deep into this part, but there are some ambiguities in the text about the way that Jacob knew or did not know or how he found out it like kind of seems like there's some gray area there. If he like, you know, watched Ruben walk out of the tent and was like, wait a second. Or if he like found out like long after the fact, it's really, really unclear. And you know, exactly how Jacob would save face or react or be obligated to react. All of those things are very up in the air, but again, it's just like a casual Oh, by the way, Ruben fucked Bilha. And then, and it this does come back to bite Ruben later, but for now we're not lingering on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But something bad happened between Ruben and Bilha, and mm-hmm. that is all you need to know. Yeah. Also, for some reason, when you're saying Bilha, I'm hearing Bilbo, as in Bilbo Baggins, as in <gasps> of Bag End. Thank you. I mean, I'm not against it. Then anyway, so Jacob has 12 sons and like a daughter or whatever, and he comes home to Mamre, which is near Hebron. And then once he gets there, Isaac, his dad, dies at 180 years old. Damn. And Jacob and Esau bury their father. And that's where we're going to leave Jacob. So Esau comes to Mamre? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, It's unclear if he's like in the area already or if he comes for Isaac's death. But in any case, he is present when Jacob buries Isaac. Yeah. Is is that where Isaac was living, Mamre? Um, Yeah, it seems that way. Or at least he was living close. I, I would wager that he was living in Mamre. And also, these people seem to have had a really nomadic lifestyle at its gotcha. core where it's like yeah i live in this country but like i don't mm-hmm. stay in one city yeah so. that's how i read it when i was reading about his death was that it wasn't necessarily that he lived there but just like that's unfortunately where he, where he died <laughs> yeah yeah pastoral nomads is uh one of the words for it well and we know that to some extent the places where some of these people were pitching their tents seems to be permanent ish you know what I mean? Like when Lot was by Sodom, it like Lot pitched his tent there and then he fucking stuck around for at least several months. It sounds like maybe even longer. So that's grain of salt too. Yeah. Well, I mean like Jacob hang, hung around in order to like 14 years in order to earn his wife's hands. That's a great, great point too. Yeah. He stuck with Laban. It, it might be that Laban was moving around and Jacob moved with him, but we don't get any movement in any of that text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, like, goats need to move around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's so, the whole like, thing is that Kara, they have a bunch of You are just rocking it. <laughs> just <laughs> give me some whipped cream vodka really? and I can make. Oh, my God. You are... I'm on it. 
Okay, so that's the end of Genesis 35. I'm going to skip over most of Genesis 36 because basically all we're doing is recounting Esau's line and his descendants. What you do need to know is that Esau has a really big household and um, he moves away from Jacob, which seems to be a sustainability thing. Like this town ain't big enough for the both of us. And literally I have goats that need to graze and you have goats that need to graze and they can't graze in the same place because there are too many of them. And also, like, he married those women that Rebecca doesn't like. The Hittites, yeah. Yeah, so, like, we don't want to mess with them. Yeah. I mean, I do, but, like, they don't. (laughs) And it seems to me like Esau and Jacob never really got along. Like, even when you reconcile with your relatives, it doesn't mean that you have to be, like, besties with them. And it's okay for you to go your separate ways as long as you don't actively hate each other. Mm -hmm. You know, like, Mm -hmm. we made our reparations and now we're just going to, like, shake hands and walk away. I think that's fine. Yeah, and dad's dead. So like we Yeah, and dad's dead. Yeah, what's keeping us together at this point? Yeah. Mom, Um, who cares about her? (laughs) So Esau's nickname was Edom, which means red. And he moves to the hill country to the south of Israel, and his descendants are called the Edomites. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It seems that we're doing that thing. I've described it before as kind of like, you know, I used to know a guy named Nebraska, and now there's Mm -hmm. a state named Nebraska. It seems like that's kind of what we're doing here. Edom was definitely a real place. Uh, We're now starting to uh, glance on some real history again. I love that. The Egyptians and the Assyrians wrote about Edom. Like it was, it was a real, if not unified nation, it was a real land the people were from. And it seems to have been a neighbor to the early Israeli state. So yet again, we're, we're touching on the real stuff here. But according to the Israelite tradition, uh, the Edomites are all descended from Esau. Okay. But also, remember, they're just like a little bit inferior because Esau married the Hittite women. Right. Oh, yeah. This is where mm-hmm. we get a little racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just a little just racist. Just a little. <laughs> just a smidge. Yeah, it's like, listen, we're cousins, but like, uh, <laughs> anyway. But like, we don't want to really admit that. So just to set the scene, we're in Canaan, Isaac is dead, so Jacob is the patriarch now. Because we traded Stu, right? Yes. To be the patriarch. He was starving. Yeah, because he's a big brawny man Mm -hmm. and he needed those calories. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we had the soup incident and then we also had Jacob's blessing. Yeah, yeah, the hairy arms. Yeah, Jacob's blessing. So uh, Isaac gave basically everything to Jacob mm. at this point. Which, like, to be clear, and this is going to be relevant later in the episode too, the birthright is double share of the inheritance. It doesn't mean that they get the entire inheritance, mm-hmm. but like Jacob and Esau are two people, so there would be three shares to the inheritance, and the firstborn gets the first two shares, and the secondborn gets the last one-third of a share. So it's not that Esau gets nothing of Isaac's estate, right. but right, but he's not going to be able to like retire. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to yeah. be able to. Yeah, absolutely. So we're in Canaan. Isaac is dead. Esau has fucked off. So we've got Jacob, who we're now calling Israel, and we have Jacob's twelve sons and a daughter that we're not going to worry about. Shh. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're now on chapter thirty-seven. This is where the story of Joseph really begins. We're going to start off, Joseph is 17. I was just about to ask how old he was. (laughs) Oh yeah, girl, I got you. 
Joseph is 17 and he's tending the flocks with his brothers and then he tattles on them for some reason. It's really unclear what he tattles on them for. Not cool. I'm sure that there are plenty of legends about it. We don't know. But he, you know, is a bit of a snitch. This is part of Joseph's personality. We're bearing this in mind. Mm -hmm. So Israel loves Joseph more than he loves his other sons. Because remember, Joseph's mother was Rachel and Rachel was Mm -hmm. Jacob's favorite. And so Jacob slash Israel gives Joseph a robe or coat, a garment, you know, Mm -hmm. something full bodied. And it, the word is really unclear. It seems that it means ornate. Um, It could mean that it has a lot of colors, which is the most classical translation. Mm -hmm. Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, It could just be that it looks fancy. It could be just that it's made of quality materials. We don't really know. The important thing is that it's really, really nice and receiving it is an honor. And of course, Israel, patriarch, huge fucking deal. So any Mm -hmm. gift that he gives is important anyway. And I mean, his name is Israel, which makes him super important. Exactly. So the brothers, they don't like Joseph because of the whole tattling thing. Like, this is what I mean when I say that this story is stylistic. The brothers have motivation to not like Joseph because of a detail that was casually tossed in earlier in the story. People love this, uh, the Joseph kind of saga. But anyway. I think it's one of the most popular stories. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Joseph, Moses, and Jesus is like where it's at in the Bible. To be fair, we have musicals for each of those stories as well Mm -hmm. so for the modern era that's a little bit you know we've totally like spent the money on those three yeah absolutely my dad was jesus in god's bill that's why i'm like this anyway that's right so the brothers don't like joseph very much they're all jealous of him and he's got this fucking baller ass bedazzled jacket Mm -hmm. then come the dreams So there are two crucial dreams that Joseph has at this point. The first one, he tells his brothers that he dreamed that they were binding sheaves, as in like bundles of grain, and his sheaf stood upright and the brother's sheaves all bowed to it. And the brothers are like, they they kind of interpret this as Joseph is saying that he's better than they are, which I think is pretty obvious. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. um, all of your fucking sheeps are going to like fucking bow down to my fucking sheep. And like, I'm going to fucking rule over you. And so they're like, you are a young brother. You're such a fucking tattletale. You little bitch with your fancy ass jacket. Like, yeah. I hate you. Yeah. Then... He has a dream that the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to him. So the sun and the moon seem to be his mother and father, and the 11 stars may be the brothers. He just needs to keep his mouth shut. Right? Get yourself a dream journal. Yeah. Sit down. Yeah. That would be a great time to invent writing so you could keep Mm -hmm. these thoughts to your fucking self. Yeah. Uh, And this one is important because it's not just... I'll do better than my brothers. This is cosmic, first of all, because any asshole can bind sheaves of grain. Like, grain is a plant. It's everywhere. Like, grain is just grass. But we're now looking at the sun and stars. Like, these are cosmic, godly forces. And, like, Joseph is saying that they're all bowing down to him. So, first of all, that's a big deal. But then we also have the sun and moon bowing down in addition to the stars, which means that Israel slash Jacob 
the patriarch, who's a huge fucking deal, is mm-hmm. bowing down to Joseph. And so, you know, this is a much more significant dream than the previous one was. And interestingly, Israel is just kind of like, huh, okay. He doesn't really react. He's just like noted. Like, okay, that's that's fine. And these are the good old days. It only gets worse. Excellent. So then we cut away from the dream nonsense. And the brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem, which I still feel weird about because, again, it's probably still full of bodies. And Israel tells Joseph to go to them and to come back with an update to see how they're doing. Which is, you know, okay. Mm-hmm. He's clearly the family snitch, so he's the perfect yep. person for this. Mm-hmm. The family snitch. <laughs> so Joseph bumps into a stranger, actually, and is like, where are my brothers? And the stranger's like, oh, over there. So interesting thing about the style, the fact that he is talking to a stranger and asking means that he's far from where they are. He's not like sneaking up on them and he doesn't just show up right where they don't expect him. So as he comes nearer, they see him coming and the brothers start plotting to kill him because they're like, fuck this guy. He's a tattletale. He's a pompous dickhole. And he's always saying how much better he is than us and how much better he is than dad. And everybody knows that dad is the most important person around. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. They are so over him. So let them kill him. Yeah. It's the Old Testament. This is how it happens. Yeah. Brothers kill brothers. Apparently you could just like kill people for fun. There isn't DNA evidence. So it's like, yeah, I'm just going to kill whoever I want. Whatever. I mean, we did kill Adam and Eve's kid. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Yeah, Cain killed Abel pretty easy. Yeah. And, you know, like there are lots of brothers. There aren't any concerns that the family line isn't going to be continued. You know, like... Like, fuck this guy, you know? But clearly he's the favorite. And so, like. Yeah, and he's taking up all dad's attention. And Jacob is the banner case for birthrights being passed over the rightful kid. Right. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, did Simeon and Levi not learn anything from murdering an entire town? Like, you don't piss off dad. But they didn't really have any consequences from that, for the record. Jacob was like, why the fuck do you guys do this? Disappointment. Yeah, yeah, but he was like, we're all going to die now. And God was like, no, you won't. It's fine. I'm going to XOXO gossip God them and make them all scared. It's fine. Honestly, if we ever do make it on this podcast, it will be off of XOXO gossip God. (laughs) Like that is going to be the thing that makes it worth it all. Because I that tick every time you say it, I'm tickled. Like I am. Because that's what God does. He just like sneaks around. He's watching everything, and every now and again, he pops in, and he's just like. We just need to change the name of the podcast to XOXO Gossip God. Yes, literally, it's like the the new thing with Bridgerton with like that little like Mrs. Wimberly or whatever who's whistle down, Lady Whistle Down, Lady Whistle Down. Literally, God's Lady Whistle Down, and is like, listen here, young children. Yeah, and God speaks with uh, Julie Andrews' voice, by the way. Which, I mean, is not probably far from the truth. She's That's my God. Julie, if you're available, we'd like to book you to read some God lines. Julie, please call me. You know she'd do it. We just need to give her some wine. Julie will do it. <laughs> Julie, call me back. Julie, it's all I've ever wanted. Yeah. I bet she'd be so down it's for it. just my birthday, please. <laughs> um... So the brothers are plotting to kill him and they say 
the brothers say that they could kill Joseph and then throw him into a cistern, which is kind of like a well, but instead of tapping into groundwater, it catches rainwater. I did not know what a cistern was before I was doing this episode. Um, So the plan is to throw him down into a cistern and just say that an animal ate him. These are the things that you could get away with in the Old Mm -hmm. Testament. But then Reuben says, you know, let's not kill him. We can just dump him in the cistern and leave him. Um, And it seems that Reuben is keeping him alive. And like Loki wants to bring him back to Israel, bring him back to dad. And it's kind of implied that he basically says, hey, guys, maybe not kill him, but um, we could just dump him somewhere and then abandon him. And then Reuben walks away. He's like, this is a dumb idea. Bye. So then Joseph arrives to the rest of the brothers. Reuben has walked away. And all of the brothers spring into action. They tear off his robe, the robe of many colors or of many shapes. And then they throw him into a dry cistern. So there's no rain in it. Anyway, they throw Joseph into a cistern. And then they're like, whoo, that was hungry work. Let's eat. And as they're sitting to eat, I picture them just like casually eating while ignoring Joseph, just frantically crying for help. And his voice is like echoing out of the earth. And then some Ishmaelites walk by. So these are the descendants of Ishmael. These are distant cousins of theirs. Uh Um, The text also calls them Midianites, which Mm -hmm. that's a different son of Abraham through one of his concubines which is a weird internal contradiction. So that might just mean that the Ishmaelites and the Midianites are really closely related or, you know, one set of descendants lived on land owned by other set of descendants like TBD. I couldn't really find anything that was very definitive about that. Or they cross-pollinated. Yeah, or they cross-pollinated possibly. But anyway, so whoever these people are, be them Ishmaelites or Midianites, They're carrying spices and myrrh and shit that they are headed to Egypt to trade. So they're, you know, trying to make a buck. They're on a business trip. So then Judah is the one who proposes that they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites so that they don't have their brother's blood on their hands. Because he's like, he's our flesh and blood. Like, we don't want to be the ones who murdered our brother. That seems like bad mojo. After we've already thrown him in a hole. Yeah, we already threw him in a hole. Like, let's sell him. Let's... (laughs) Let's not kill him. Let's just make a buck. Let's get money for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so we now have two brothers who have tried to intervene to save Joseph's life, Reuben and Judah. So they sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels, which is about eight ounces of silver. Silver was more valuable back then, inflation. Mm -hmm. And Reuben comes back. This is where we, like... There was nothing about Reuben walking away. I'm assuming that because he comes back at this point. But Reuben walks back up and he's like, where the fuck is Joseph? And he's like, dad is going to be so pissed. Well, now they're all in it deep and the Ishmaelites are walking away with Joseph in chains or something. And so the brothers dip Joseph's fancy robe in goat blood and then take it back to Israel. And they say, look at the robe. You can see that it's Joseph's. You can see that it's covered in blood. Therefore, we can conclude that he's dead. And Jacob is obviously completely devastated by this news. He tears at his clothes and he puts on a sackcloth. And he says that he'll mourn Joseph until he joins him in the grave. Super fucking sad. And I think it's interesting. The text calls him Jacob at this point and not Israel. 
So it's almost like he's lost it. Yeah, I was gonna say he's totally lost it. Yeah, there's something about his like ties to Earth. You know, Israel seems to be a name that's really intricately linked with God, and he's like taking a step back from his godly duties because this earthly moment is so devastating for him, and he just has to feel sad about his son, and he can't identify with someone with this great legacy of God because right now he's just a sad dad. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's not. He's not a player in God's plan at this moment. He's a he's a dealing with the emotions of his son. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, good to on you, Jacob. But also, yeah. like, obviously, your other boys have some traumatic issues with your parenting. Mm-hmm. Oh, everyone in the story is fucked up. <laughs> They're so jealous. Everyone is fucked up. Where are the therapists? And I do also want to point out that the way that they say that Joseph is dead is by saying, look and see. This is a kind of motif that we're going to keep seeing as we move forward in the Bible. Look and see. Here is physical evidence. Trust your eyes. Trust your, you know, trust the story, basically. Watch out for that. So they never said, like, look, Joseph's dead. They're like, look, dad. They did. But the primary evidence for, like, we are saying that Joseph is dead and look at his robe. It's covered in blood. Therefore, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He could just be injured, laying in a ditch somewhere. We need to go look for him. Jacob is heartbroken. But in the meantime, the Midianites slash Ishmaelites, they sell Joseph. And it sounds like there's like a string of events in Jewish lore. Uh, Joseph is sold several times. But the place where he ends up is a man named Potiphar, who is one of the Pharaoh's officials. So Joseph is sold all the way to Egypt. I thought you were going to say pedophile. No. Not, His name is Potiphar. Not Potiphar. And I was like, damn. So then, so that's the end of chapter 37 of Genesis. Then we arrive at chapter 38. And at this point we say, anyway, fuck Joseph. Let's talk about Judah. Let's do it. Oh my God, who the fuck's Judah? What's up with Judah? What's going on with Judah? So there are a few reasons why this Judah story is in the middle of Joseph's story. Um, again, we think that the entire Joseph story is written by one uh, one writer. So it could be like a narrative or suspense or like cliffhanger reason, or it could just be that, you know, whoever was writing this stuff down had heard like a few different sources when they put it in. Uh, I actually think that it might just be that this is where Judah's stuff fits in chronologically. So it's like, yeah, let's put it here. But in any case, we talk about Judah now. And boy, is this one a doozy. Okay, remind me who the hell Judah is. Judah is one of the sons of Jacob. Oh, okay. Is he one of the concubine's sons or Leah's sons? Uh, So he's the fourth son of Jacob and Leah. Because remember, Leah plops out four sons back to back to back to back. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for some reason, I thought we had already talked about a Judah. Is there a Judah later? Like, with Jesus? Judas. Judas. There is a Judas. So this is really complicated. So all of the sons of Jacob are super important. We're going to end up talking about Judah in particular quite a bit in the long run. So you need to get used to hearing his name. (laughs) And complicatedly, in the very long term, Judah's name is the etymological source for the words Jew and Judea. That's how important Judah is to the history Hmm. of the Hebrew people. Okay. And there are a lot of historical reasons why he's the brother with staying power. 
we're not going to get into them like right now, but I will say as a bit of a spoiler. So like I say, uh, the first four sons, the oldest four are all Leah's and it's Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Reuben fucked Bilha. That's a problem. And then Simeon and Levi murdered all the Shechemites. So Judah is the oldest brother without some terrible dishonor or baggage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. I'm on board. Got it. This next part, you're going to love it, but there are lots of names. So I'm going to try to make it clear who everyone is. Okay. So Judah marries a Canaanite woman. Good for him. Her father's name, Shua. We don't really care about Shua very much. Judah marries a Canaanite woman. That Canaanite woman has three sons. The sons are Er, Onan, and Shelah. Er, E-R, and Shelah is not to be confused with Shelah. Is in, man, you gotta stop your Shelah from wandering around with the Dengars. <laughs> anyway, the Bible's real crazy, mate. Oh my god, that's not where I thought you were gonna go at all. <laughs> I totally think you need to tell these stories in different accents. So, Shayla, that's the third son. The third son's name is Shayla. Oh. So we have Er, Onan, Shayla. Is that a song? (laughs) Yes, is that a song? Oh, Shayla, let me love you till the morning comes. That should be our intro. (laughs) (laughs) Let me me love you till the morning comes. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, so the first son, whose name is Er, marries a woman named Tamar. Tamar, so if you only remember two names from the story, remember Judah and Tamar. Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law. Tamar marries Judah's first son. Okay. So Tamar marries Er, and apparently Er sucks, so God kills him. Er has no personality in the story, except that he sucks. Wait, what? <laughs> Just kills his son because yes. he's boring. God, like, XOXO, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of vanilla, so you're out. Yeah. It seems that Air was like vaguely wicked. We don't ever find out how Air sucks, but the Bible says he's wicked in God's sight. And so, like, I assume that he and Tamar are like walking around and they're like holding hands and they're like, So, what do you do in your free time? And then there's just like lightning and Air is dead. And then Tamar hears this like, julie andrews monologue and she's like uh oh t what are you gonna do now that your man's dead xoxo gossip god i feel i feel like god is just watching the world like a tv show like a reality show and if you find something boring or he doesn't like he just like smites them it's like mm-hmm. yeah now let's move on to the next story this is boring this isn't worth my time absolutely so uh air sucks he's dead so Judah's firstborn son is dead. Shit happens. Yeah, it happens. So Judah turns to Onan. Onan is the secondborn son. And he says, listen, your brother's dead. You need to marry Tamar now because those are the rules. The second son has to marry the firstborn son's widow if the firstborn dies. Are you with me? I'm sorry. Isn't that the whole point of like why Henry VIII didn't work? So, okay, this is complicated. Um, because in Leviticus, which comes later, like after Exodus, there's a rule that says that you're not allowed to marry your brother's wife, um, even if your brother dies. But there is something called leveret marriage, 
which is from the Latin, and it's where a man has to marry his brother's widow. Apparently, under Judaic law, it's called yibum, and it's only permissible if the dead brother has no children. That's a really important piece. Okay. This also happened in Bridgerton. Remember? I, I didn't I didn't actually I watched the first episode and a half of Bridgerton. I'm not far. Okay. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so yeah. Oops. Anyway, this process is voluntary, but if you don't want to do it, you have to do like a ceremony to like refuse it in the proper way. So from the text, it sounds like Judah may have been leaning on Onan for his second son to marry Tamar. Okay. And um, the important thing to remember about Leveret marriage and about this Judaic law, Yibum, is that without children or a husband, the women in this society have no protection at all, and they might very well just like starve to death by the side of the road. So it sounds like this is one of those deals where you're a woman you get married to a nice guy or an average guy and you hope that he's not literally the worst. Well, he dies. You have no kids. You have no one to protect you and you're damaged goods now, right? Because you have been married. And so presumably you've, you know, had sex, which means that you're absolutely tainted or whatever. And so it's going to be really hard for you to remarry. And so you're just going to die by the side of the street. Like that fucking sucks. And so the solution is if you don't have any kids who are going to grow up to take care of you, you just marry the next brother. But what if your kids are too young to take care of you? I don't know. I think that there might be some kind of accommodation with like the patriarch, but... Okay, so Tamar is like, okay, let's get married. Gonna marry the second son. Yes. He's married to Omar. Tamar? To Omar? Or? Are? Onan. 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 Tamar. Tamar is going to Tamar. marry Onan. Onan. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, we and we know that Tamar kind of needs this. So I found in the Jewish Women's Archive, there's this woman. She was um, a professor of the Hebrew Bible and the history of Judaism in the Divinity School at the University of Chicago, and she also taught in the law school and the committees on the ancient Mediterranean world and Jewish studies. She had an MA and PhD from Yale. I used her article on Tamar. We can uh, post the link in our Facebook group. Her name is Tikva Frimerkensky. Are a lot of big words. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she has a, a very unusual name, but her information was really interesting and I leaned on her uh, research kind of a lot. But the law, this law, the Leveret marriage law, is important because the Leveret marriage means that Tamar can marry Onan um, if they both consent, but Judah really wants Onan to consent. And any son that Tamar has is legally considered the heir of heir, so to speak. So the heir of the older brother, because that's who she was married to first. Um, And that means that he, first of all, keeps the dead brother's name in the lineage of the clan, which is important because, you know, that way heir's name doesn't just like die out and no one gives a shit about him anymore. But also, like we talked about earlier, Firstborns get a double share of the inheritance, which means that any kid that Onan has with Tamar gets the firstborn share, gets the double share. But if there are no male heirs, then Onan is the oldest kid remaining. So Onan gets the firstborn inheritance. Oh my god, is Onan going to kill his sons? 
No. Okay. Oh my god. No, he's not. She's like, I just can't handle it. <laughs> I, just, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> There's gonna be another XOXO gossip god. <laughs> but we're so Onan doesn't want Tamar to get pregnant, but he has to marry her, right? Because his dad wants him to. But if she gets pregnant, then that kid is going to get a bunch of shit that will otherwise come to Onan. So that kid will be, you know, not stealing from him, but in his uh, in his yeah. mind, probably stealing from him. Mm-hmm. So because he doesn't want her to get pregnant, we get this wonderful verse from Genesis 38, 9. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. So he invented the pull-out method. He invented the pull-out method. Again, we go back to Bridgerton. (laughs) Bridgerton is all about Genesis, whatever number we're on. (laughs) Remember, the Duke of Hastings did not want a child. My favorite part about that show, though, is when how he keeps pulling out and then like in one sex scene he like they're like doing it on like a table or something and he finds like a pile of like papers and just grabs those and that's what he <laughs> jacks off into and it's like you didn't even read what those were like those what if they were important what if they were receipts like what if they needed to return whatever that was <laughs> so anyway Okay, so he invents the pull-out method, so that way he doesn't have any children to steal his inheritance. Yes, and so God does not fuck with this loophole. Uh, He considers this bullshit behavior, and so he kills Onan in retaliation. So there's God's doing a lot of killing in this story. And so just to be clear, because this is a really interesting thing, it's unclear if the beef that God has is that Onan refuses to give Tamar children, or if it's like an anti-masturbation thing where you can't waste semen that should have been used for procreation, right? Because I think that based on the other context of the story, it seems that the law is meant for Tamar to be protected, for Tamar to have children, and for those children to grow up and take care of her. And Onan is depriving her of that opportunity and is keeping her not destitute but kind of on the edge of destitution because without any kids she's fucked but it'll affect him and so he's keeping that from her and so god is mad about that part but this is one of the main passages from the bible that feeds into the idea that sex is for children and not for pleasure so this is a big anti-birth control anti-masturbation passage because god literally kills someone for jerking off and in a way that prevents having children huh uh so do you guys remember our good old friend um epiphanius of salamis who he was the subject of our bonus segment of the uh, mary magdalene episode oh, he was yes. that guy yes okay but so um epiphanius of salamis has a whole thing about people who pull out instead of procreating and it's like all based on this one passage the whole thing is epiphanius is like you fuck for kids you do not fuck for any other reason and god damn it you do not pull out under any circumstances i don't care if the building catches on fire you follow through you finish you finish what you started so yeah uh what are what are your reactions to that um to this whole deal with onan the pulling out and the uh the death i mean thank god they're not killed off 
now because I think every guy would probably be dead. Listen, if Old Testament God wouldn't smite you dead, are you even living? I know, right? (laughs) You're even living. You are boring. XOXO. (laughs) God, the God. I just can't fathom how much it sucks to be tamer. Like, yes, absolutely. Like, she's just like, I just want some goddamn security in my life. I'll marry whoever the fuck you guys want me to. Two husbands in a row have been murdered by God. Yeah, and then God's like, Watch out! (laughs) I'm surprised they haven't blamed Tamar yet. I know. (laughs) Like, two of your husbands have died. (laughs) And it's kind of implied that Judah is blaming Tamar later. Okay. Like, in this scene we're about to go into. But it never says it explicitly in the Bible, which is interesting. So, as you guys say, the question is, what the fuck happens to Tamar, who is just trying to live her goddamn life? So, you will remember there is a third brother, Shayla. And apparently he's kind of young. So Judah tells Tamar to go live with her father and just to kind of live as a widow until Shayla grows up. Apparently, because of the way that the law works, if Shayla was that young, Judah could have just married Tamar himself. Like, there's no reason for Tamar to be single. That was my whole question to begin with. Me too. I was why... just waiting for saying, Judah, yeah, I'll, I'll just and marry so her. And then Judah's just like, you know what? You seem to be a dangerous pussy. Let's, you and I just yes. do the deed. <laughs> and so Shayla grows up, but Judah leaves Tamar hanging, which is what I was meaning when I was saying that um, Judah seems to be scared of Tamar to think that she like has a poison pussy or something. He doesn't seem to want to marry Tamar himself, but also he won't let Shayla marry her. And why is it so important for him? Like, why does he want, does she like come with a huge dowry or something? No, it's about, since she did marry into the family, it's about his duty to her. Mm. But yes, to answer your question, I don't think that Tamar necessarily has anything special about her. She married Judah's firstborn, so she's probably not like some poor nobody. But it seems that um, they have an obligation to her based on the law. And that's why they're keeping her around is because, you know, they literally they have to do something to help her. This is what, you know, God's law says, but they really don't want to do it. And so Judah's solution to this is leave her in kind of limbo where we're going to marry you to Shiloh whenever that's, you know. I, I was going to say, does she not have any protection as Judah's daughter-in-law? I mean, does she have to be married to someone? I mean, can't he afford the protection? Hey, this is my daughter. This is my well, daughter-in-law. Well, if we go back to my award-winning episode where I talked about Dina, um, and you'll remember my little side story about her marrying her brother just for the protection. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it seems like you have to they marry. Have to, you have somebody. to be married. Okay. You can't yeah. just be a single, a single gal following mm-hmm. along. Either you're a slave or you're married. Yes. Gotcha. I will say too that I didn't delve super deep into the dynamics of being a widow. It seems that it sucks. Uh, she's living as a widow while she's living with her with her father. But I don't really know, like, if there were no other brothers, how that would be handled either. So there are still a couple questions and hypotheticals that are outstanding. But the bottom line is she's in limbo and they owe her a fucking life. And also, why isn't God just like XOXO dead? 
Well, because it's not because Judah hasn't made a decision yet, right? He didn't say we're never going to marry you to anybody because if he said that, then God would probably kill him. Well, it sounds like God owes her a life because he's the right, one that keeps right. killing off her husbands. <laughs> I mean, that is also a point. But her husbands, in fairness, do keep fucking up. Is the well, Air fucked up, and then Onan fucked up really, really explicitly because Air fucked up because he was selfish, yes, and boring, and jerking off. I mean, and didn't know where to deposit the seed. <laughs> Right. Well, and it's possible to, um, and Dr. Fromerkensky says this, it's possible that Judah doesn't know who's killing his sons. And so if he is unaware that it's God, God's a sniper, and he just thinks that they're just dropping dead, then he might think that it is Tamar. Like there's something wrong with this woman. And I don't want my poor baby Shayla, who's my last son, to marry her and then immediately fucking die. And he like doesn't know that Yahweh is pissed about it. Like, that's possible. So Yahweh is a sniper, bad communicator. Also, possibly. Also, why does he need to tell Judah why his sons are dying? Like, maybe Judah should have raised them better. I don't need to, t- I don't need to explain myself to you. My, my qualm is with Air, and now I've killed Air, and we're done here. But Tamara's paying the price. But how is the sweet baby angel that's still alive going to be taught to do anything better if Judah doesn't know that he keeps fucking up his boys? But we know that, well, we don't know what Er did, but we know that what Onan did was very specifically against the law. And Onan should have known better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And to answer your question, Heather, to justify Yahweh murdering people, if I'm Yahweh and I'm pissed at the husband, I can just kill the husband. No problem. I'm God. That's easy. And then I believe because the laws are super religious, right? I've given these people laws so that if your husband dies, she'll be taken care of. And it's like, well, Judah knows the laws. She'll be fine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah, I can just kill her and it'll be great. And Onan will just marry her. And then Onan starts fucking around. And it's like, no, no, no. You're supposed to be taking care of Tamar. And so... I mean, I think that it's very plausible that God killing Onan specifically is in Tamar's defense. Like, you need to take care of this woman. She is owed your protection. And the fact that you are not taking care of her appropriately makes me fucking kill you. Respect your women. Yeah. Which is an oddly feminist version of God. I can, I, I, I can get, yeah, I can get on board with that. Yeah. All right. So Judah's wife dies. Hmm. So Judah's wife dies. So he's mourning and he's very sad about his wife dying. And then he goes to shear his sheep because, you know, work never rests. Mm-hmm. And Tamar, who is just chilling at her dad's, living as a widow, not having a good time and definitely not getting laid. She gets a tip off on where Judah is going to be. And so she changes her clothes from a widow's clothes and she puts on a veil so she's not recognizable. And she waits for him by the side of the road where he is uh, to shear the sheep. And it's not the veil that makes her a prostitute. It's the fact that she's just chilling by the side of the road. But he mistakes her for a prostitute. So he sees her and he pulls over. On his goat. And is like, excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> Donkey or camel. Something more dignified than it. You don't ride goats, Tara. I mean. I just picture a goat with a little saddle. <laughs> 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 Judah's like, hey, um, but no, he uh, he 
requests her services, and he offers a goat in payment, actually. Because remember, goats are valued. They're mm-hmm. a form of currency, basically. And so she ain't no fool. She wants mm-hmm. collateral. So she asks for his seal, cord, and staff. The seal is probably like a signet ring that he uses to mark his property. The cord, maybe a literal cord, but it also could be like a a cloak or a strip of cloth that would be unique to Judah. And the staff would be obviously like a symbol of power. That's what you use to control the livestock, but it would probably be hand carved by Judah himself. So these are one, really important to Judah, right? You mark your property, you keep your flocks in line, you, you know, it's your clothes. And the second thing that's important about these items is that they are all identifying these are fucking Judah's things. Mm-hmm. So they go and they fuck. And he has no idea who she is. And she ends up getting pregnant. Damn. Yeah, she does. She's like, need me a baby. Need me some babies. Oh, uh, this is, God. it's not illegal because the laws around the kind of lever at marriage thing, Judah could have married her when the second son died. Uh, And if Shayla was too young to marry her, which was his claim, then he should have married her himself. So her, you know, arranging to get fucked by him, that's not against the law because that's that's what should have happened. You know what I mean? Especially when his primary wife is dead anyway. Right. So he still has no idea who she is, but he gets a friend to take the goat and pay her, but she's missing when the friend goes to pay her and everybody's like there's no prostitute who like hangs out here like we would know if someone was you know like selling those goods yeah exactly and so judah calls off the search because it's kind of embarrassing and this woman just like ran off um dr firmer calls it the ancient equivalent of a credit card she has all of these super identifying items you like you know she kept your collateral this like random prostitute you slept with like that's not a good look And, you know, he's the son of a patriarch. Like, he kind of has some status to maintain. So it's real embarrassing. And he's like, okay, well, let's not worry about whoever that was. This is bad. But she still has his staff and, like, all that kind of shit. And the scenery. And the cloth. Oh, God. Judah. (laughs) And, yeah, right? So he's kind (laughs) of fucked. Uh, And then, obviously, it's pretty hard to keep a pregnancy secret. So people start telling Judah that Tamar is pregnant. And so if she's pregnant, he assumes that she's had sex with some rando, which would be illegal. And so that's breaking the rules. And so he immediately is like, burn her! Which is weird, because did your dad not teach you to, you know, not throw around death threats all willy-nilly? Like, we talked about this. Um, It's bad to just be like, oh, so-and-so should just die. We, Mm -hmm. (laughs) This will definitely not come back to haunt me later. Mm-hmm. but uh so anyway he wants to burn her alive okay i'm so stressed out about this <laughs> talk me through it how are you feeling i'm just like i'm like, like you just said like has his like did daddy teach us nothing about throwing out death like threats without any sort of like knowledge of what's going on do we need to talk about rachel again like and just how much of a dick move it is to like not be throwing around curses just willy-nilly and then like for what and then also like just gross men are gross continue on what happened so she's gonna get burned at the stake that is what is being proposed at the moment 
So obviously Judah is calling for her death. Tamar sends the staff and seal to him and is like, I am pregnant by the man who owns these. Gotcha. I just have to say Tamara is very smart. But she's keeping the cloth? No, she doesn't keep them. She sends them back to Judah. All three things? Yeah. Okay, I was going to do wrap the baby in the cloth when it's born and be like, here's another. No, this is while she's still pregnant. You are the father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this just became a, another episode of Mori. We've been having those lately. <laughs> but so Judah realizes that he fucked up by not giving her a husband and a kid and that he also fucked up by subsequently having sex with her. But he acknowledges and he's like, this was my bad. Like, I should have arranged for you to have kids. Like, this is on me. And he says that she is more righteous than he is. So he doesn't have sex with her again because now that she's pregnant, this is another wrinkle. Now that she's pregnant, the obligation is fulfilled. The kid that she has is going to have firstborn privileges and is going to be the heir to heir. So her first husband. And so now the obligation is good. She has somebody to take care of her. And so it would be illegal for uh, for Judah to keep her around and keep having sex with her and to like keep her as a wife, basically. So who's going to take care of her while it's a baby? And what if it's a girl? <laughs> right. So it seems that she's permanently part of the family and that I think the idea, and again, kind of unclear, very fine-tuned parts of Jewish law, I think that the idea is that Judah has interest in his grandsons because they, spoiler alert, it's twins. That's why I keep slipping up and saying that. I'm like, honestly, you need to tell me why you keep multiplying them. I'm like, listen, (laughs) but anyway, I think the idea is that Judah has interest in his grandsons and that she will be protected because she is with the rest of the family. And the rest of the family is interested in keeping those heirs to heirs name around. Mm-hmm. So then Tamar gives birth to twin boys. The twin boys names are Perez and Zara. I have a question. Yeah. So since they get double shares and they're twin boys, do they just each get one share? Um, actually, we know the answer to this because of Jacob and Esau, because they are also twins. So the one who comes out first. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot do two at a time. I've tried. Yeah. Who hasn't? <laughs> so in the process of all of these marriages that Tamar had, two of Judah's sons died. And now he gets two more. Because now we have two, two grandsons to fill in the places for Er and Onan. So he's just made whole. Yeah which is a kind of interesting poetic justice when he finally gives in and, uh, you know, makes up for heirs, bad sin. And then Onan's subsequent sin, as soon as he has sex with Tamar, which is what needed to happen the whole goddamn time, we get two kids and the, the hole in the family is filled, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then Perez in particular is a really important character because he is the ancestor to King David and King David is an ancestor of Jesus. Uh, Jesus's genealogy is given two times, once in Matthew and once in Luke. And there are differences between the two of them. But in both of them, Jesus is descended from Perez. Huh. Do you want to know what I keep thinking of? 
What? Perez Hilton. Perez Hilton. Perez Hilton, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I need to email you guys the link for the art review. Give me just oh my god, is second. it of Perez? <laughs> no, it is not. Oh. oh. So this is a picture of, obviously, Judah and Tamar when Tamar is wearing the veil. So Judah doesn't know who she is. Okay, but this is like when superheroes just have like the eye cover and mm-hmm. everything else is showing on them and like they're mm-hmm. like oh i didn't know you were batman mm-hmm. dude or like the just the glasses <laughs> absolutely yeah. so and first of all this is the uh 1600s this is from the school of rembrandt so this is european anyway dutch painters yeah i was i was just going to comment on their clothes it's not what i had in my mind of what the fashion would have been like back then Exactly. And you notice Judah is wearing a great big turban, which I guess is just supposed to be like, they're wearing very Dutch 1600s clothing, but you know, they're Middle Eastern because Judah has a turban and a beard, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. okay. Kind of a weird way that Europeans are bad at doing Middle Eastern art. What is she holding? Is that a gold bracelet? She's actually holding his hand. Oh, oh, wait, no. Yeah, that is a gold bracelet. Maybe that's his... That his like signet thing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's supposed to be one of the items that she's taking from him or if that's supposed to be some other form of like finery. Because I see him holding the staff and then Mm -hmm. she's holding that gold bracelet. And I mean, to go back to the whole thing of the veil, a lot of the paintings that I found of Judah and Tamar together, Tamar is not wearing any fucking disguise. Sometimes she is like full face clear tits out time for roadside fucking and that's just kind of like that and i'm like there's no nuance to that story there's no delicatesse i think and what i really like about this particular one is first of all you barely see him in profile you get very little of judah's face Mm -hmm. she is fully lit and the part of her face that you can see which is everything below her eyes Mm-hmm. is like front and center of this painting. Like she is the focus in the same way that she is the focus of the story, even though technically it's more of a story about Judah. But I also really like the way that he's touching her really delicately on her wrist. And I don't know, maybe in the 1600s sensibility, this would be, you know, kind of raunchy. And maybe in the Bible, this would have been kind of raunchy too, but it feels very intimate and it feels very like this is a woman who needs emotional support as much as she needs sexual support. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. at its core, I feel like Tamar is a really sweet and sad story about a woman who's desperate to survive and does everything that she needs to. And somehow miraculously is never once vilified for it. Mm -hmm. Like Judah is kind of afraid that there might be something wrong with her that makes the sons die. But the the story is never like, anyway, this fucking harpy Tamar who, you know, bitched at her husband for not doing the dishes. Like, mm-hmm. we never get any of that. We only ever get Tamar as someone who is trying to follow the law. And by the end, Judah says, she's more righteous than I am. Like, fuck yeah, good for you, Tamar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's just trying to get her life, man. Yep. Oh, and she's wearing pearls. Yeah, she is wearing pearls. Yeah, she's kind of dolled up. Mm-hmm. She knew what she needed to get. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I don't really know what's going on with the hat piece, but I'm living for it. Mm-hmm. She's wearing what appears to be um, a UFO or a frisbee atop her head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As one Love does. it. Yeah, she's like seated facing uh, facing the painter or the viewer, but like ever so slightly turned toward Judah who's sitting next to her and like leaning in and touching her wrist. Mm-hmm. And he's so deep in shadow. Yeah, he's leaning in as if he's very interested. Mm-hmm. In what she has to say or offer, I guess. He's like, my dear lady. Mm-hmm. And it, you can't really tell. I think that the greenish kind of sheen of his shirt looks mm-hmm. fancy, too. Like, I think mm-hmm. both of them are pretty dressed up. Yeah. Anyway, that's our art review. Love it. So, wasn't that a fucking ride? Um... So Tamar, like I said, she's the hero of the story. She's owed a baby. All she was fucking doing was collecting what was owed to her. Mm -hmm. This is in the middle of the Joseph story. And by the time we get to our next episode, we are going to be all Joseph all the time, baby. But as I said, kind of as we were first getting into the Judah piece, there are various reasons why this could be part of the story. But there are some interesting parallels with the Joseph stuff that immediately precedes this. So it might be that this is a story that's meant to kind of emphasize the little snippet of Joseph that we saw before and to foreshadow the Joseph that we're going to see after. Uh, We have, for example, goats being used for deception because Joseph's robe is covered in goat's blood, uh, which was Judah's idea, you might remember. And Tamar asks for a goat in order to lure Judah into sex. So we get, uh, you know, Judah's brainchild of manipulating people and trying to use this form of currency because goats are so important to these people as a lifestyle and, uh, and using that to your own ends. And, you know, Judah was trying to save his brother's life. So it's not necessarily a bad thing the way that he did it. I mean, maybe don't fuck your brother over at all, but if you're saving his life by you know, using goat blood instead, that's pretty okay. And, um, and Tamara, of course, was just getting what was fucking hers. And there's also the inspection piece, which I mentioned before. The brothers tell Jacob to look at the bloody robe and Tamar uses Judah's things to do the same, right? She's like, Mm -hmm. the man who owns these things, like just fucking look and draw your own goddamn conclusion, but you know Mm -hmm. where things fucking are. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Judah got his stuff back. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that ends well. At least he got his circle. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the story, too, like we talked about how Reuben, Simeon, and Levi all fucked up. It seems that Tamar arranged for a solution where Judah does not get murdered by God and he doesn't do anything to particularly like super dishonor the family at the end he followed through he wasn't trying to follow through he did not want to follow through but he did follow through and he got two replacement sons if you will yeah he got two baby grandkids and you have to remember that that was you know goats were a form of currency and so were heirs Mm -hmm. so So he was the father and the grandfather Mm -hmm. fun fun stuff but also in the order of like being a psych or whatever it is 
the closer you the closer you are to God means the more children you have to spread the word of God. Mm. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't down a head count. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Dodged one there. Yeah. So that's our story. Oh, that's where we're ending. Well done. That's Very yes, good. that's where we're gonna leave off. Uh, okay. That's Joseph and the Brosif. And then next time when we pick up with Genesis, we're going to be doing all Joseph all the time. We're going to find out how Joseph has been doing in Potiphar's house in Egypt mm-hmm. and see how he's doing as a slave. Um, and this, and that will be when we get to talk about Donny Osmond. Oh yeah. We didn't talk about Donny Osmond barely at all. I thought that you guys were going to jump in with it, to be honest. I just kept waiting for the purple socks. Is this a sex thing? <laughs> no. Okay, so there used to be a Donnie and Marie show, and he always wore purple socks, and it was a huge thing that Donnie Osmond always wore purple socks. Hmm. And Marie Osmond always wore boots of two different lengths. <laughs> really? Yes. He's such a strange-looking man. He looks like he was made in a lab. Okay, I'll come with more Donny Osmond materials for next time. All right, yeah. Next time we're doing a deep dive into Donny Osmond. So we're going to do research and counter research. We'll do biblical research and we'll do Donny Osmond fun facts. Excellent. On it. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Uh, Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.